Welcome back to The Reporter's Notebook, an Inside the Daily Press podcast featuring SMDP reporters discussing the most interesting stories of the week and previewing upcoming items of interest. Inside the Daily Press podcasts are produced by the Santa Monica Daily Press, the city's premier news source for two decades. Visit smdp.com for the news of the day. Welcome back, guys. Uh, this is Clara Harder. I'm a reporter here at the Daily Press, and I'm delighted to be joined again today with my fellow reporter, Emily Sawicki. And this is certainly a pretty packed podcast we have coming up for you guys. Um, there was a lot of news this week. Some pretty crazy things happened in town, including just last night, and we got word of it sort of mid-mid-afternoon today. We're recording this on a Friday. Emily, what What is the crazy, crazy event you've been writing about all day today? Unfortunately, St. Monica's Church suffered a break-in on Thursday night. Um, they're estimating losses to audio and video equipment at about $150,000 worth of equipment. But the bigger concern is that um, there was also an attempted break-in to the church's tabernacle. Um, that is a historic sort of religious vessel um, it is highly important to that Catholic community, but also um, all, you know, Catholics are very concerned about it as a sacramental vessel, and it's 100 years old. So wow. it's this beautiful, ornate, um, important part of the church service, and um, it's been pried open with a crowbar, so it is looking pretty damaged. Fortunately, they were not able to get in, um, which is a big deal. For the church, so um, they avoided a, a more concerning sort of spiritual desecration, um, and it is just a, a physical damage to the tabernacle. Wow. I mean, that is just so sad. We have, you know, a decent amount of, of petty theft and robbery in Santa Monica, but robbing a church and a really long-standing community institution that is pretty much entirely focused on, on giving back and doing good is it's something else entirely. Um, how how is the church community grappling with this? What was some of the attitudes and responses you you heard from the people that you spoke with? You know, um, I was able to speak to the Monsignor over at St. Monica's. Um, he's been the pastor there for about 35 years. He recited part of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, um, which is one of the key prayers for Catholics, but also um, a lot of denominations of Christians. A key element of that prayer is about forgiveness. Um, essentially, you're asking God to forgive you in the same way that you forgive those who trespass against you or who, who commit wrongs against you. So he was saying it's an opportunity for their church community to sort of practice what they preach and um, and open up their hearts to forgiveness um, in the same way that, that they look for forgiveness, that Catholics look for forgiveness um, from God. So it's a pretty admirable response, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and is there any early indication of who might have been behind this robbery? Um, sort of depends on who you talk to. Um, I uh, got some word from SMPD that they have a witness statement um, describing one male suspect, about 5'11", um, very light on details um, that might help to identify him, unfortunately. And then the church, uh, in reviewing their security footage, saw at least three suspects. So it looks like they 
broke into the church around 9.30 on Thursday night after the church was closed up. And they came prepared. They were, uh, they had flashlights. Um, they sort of knew how to get in. So um, right now it is being uh, investigated as a pretty standard burglary, meaning there's not um, the idea that it's a hate crime or that it's sort of retribution against the church. I know it can be pretty controversial, but this looks like it's a standard burglary. People were looking to make some money. Um, and the, the tabernacle aspect of it is interesting because it is a beautiful, ornate box. And if you don't know um, how important it is religiously, it looks like it's probably worth a lot of money. And it's probably got some stuff inside that's worth a lot of money, um, which, which is true. Um, this is not the only crime-related news that we've seen on our front pages this week. Um, you were covering something, um, a, a sort of a different angle on the SMPD. Yes, um, a pretty perplexing, pretty interesting, and also disturbing story. Uh, it dates back to 2019. It was a police shooting of a civilian uh, who at the time was 28 years old. His name is Wolfgang Muntford, and he was shot in the head by an SMPD um, officer who no longer works with the department. And this week, it was announced out of a city council closed session meeting that the city has agreed to pay a $1.75 million settlement um, to this civilian who was shot by the SMPD officer. Um, I th it was sort of interesting in the newsroom um, when we learned about that settlement um, because in cases like this, it seems like there are a lot of things that we can't report on or that we're not sure of um, that are in sealed documents or are very sensitive and, you know, are not um, open to the public, open to reporters. So it must have been interesting for you to sort of navigate that as you're trying to get the word out about this major settlement. Absolutely. This was um, a case with still a lot of questions attached to it, obviously, um, in heated moments of police encounters, it's very difficult to always know exactly what happened. Like, I don't know if there's body camera footage. We certainly don't have access to it. Um, documents like this are highly confidential in the police department. But I'll just list some of the facts and then people can sort of draw their own judgments. Um, but essentially, as I remember, there were two calls that went out about this individual, Wolfgang Montford, uh, or two separate times that police encountered him. I believe there were more than two calls um, for for creating a disturbance late at night. The first time the officers came, talked to him, and then sort of released him. And then the second time they had been called out again, it was now around 2.15 in the morning. And per SMPD statements, um, Wolfgang Mountford charged at the officers and then one officer discharged a single bullet, which grazed his head. He was transported to the hospital. Um, it wasn't a lethal injury. And then after hospital care, he was taken to jail where he was booked for resisting arrest, vandalism, and assault. Then when it came to the court case, he pled no contest to the assault charge and the judge dismissed the other charges. And a no contest plea is interesting. In a court scenario, um, judges take it very similarly to admitting guilt. It means you agree to accept the charges associated with that crime. But it's not a legal admission of guilt. It's not the same as saying I am guilty. 
Um, so then when the civil case was filed, this lawsuit was filed, the narrative painted by his lawyers um, was that he did not assault the officers and that he was actually running away from the officers in fear when he was shot. Um, and again, without being there, we don't know what happened. Um, but there was an investigation by the SMPD. The officer was fired. We know that he was fired. We don't know if it was specifically because of this incident. We can guess that is most likely. Um, but yeah, you know, interesting case, very topical. Case has been closed now and settled. Interesting. Um, seems like on your beat, city is closing out one of these major legal battles that, it, well, I, you know, I don't want to call it a battle, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it could have, it was scheduled to go to court next month. The city chose to settle to avoid going to court. Um, in the statement from the city attorney, it said that the city doesn't admit guilt, but um, yeah, it could have easily gone into a more, more prolonged case. So sort of successfully closed the chapter mm -hmm. on that one. Um, earlier this week, they went ahead and engaged in some new litigation, um, which is a story that I covered. That's the lawsuit that they entered into with the school district um, over SB 442. Um, and that is the new state law that basically makes it so that county committees that are appointed can override city charters and put in place voting districts for school districts. So the idea is that this is in line with the CVRA case. CVRA. I can jump in here because that's something I've, I've covered a little bit, which is a really interesting, another litigious lawsuit that the, the city is involved in. It's been taken all the way up to the California Supreme Court. Um, but essentially, city has at-large elections, which means when you get your ballot, there's three city council spots open. You vote for three city council members, and it's not districted. Um, and there's uh, an idea that districting can lead to better minority representation um, because you can create districts sort of around minority areas and increase the odds that minorities get elected into power and then better represent, you know, our multifaceted population here. But the city of Santa Monica actually didn't believe that districts would, would help our electoral system here. Um, we currently have a black council member and multiple Latino uh, council members, obviously that's not, hasn't always been the case in the past and there's no guarantee that will be the case in the future, but the city decided to fight this, uh, districting lawsuit for city elections. And now the city is fighting it for school board elections. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been interesting to see this play out in these two different arenas, sort of your city beat, my school board beat intersecting a little bit. Um, but this is a brand new lawsuit. They just filed it last Friday and we got word on Monday morning. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. The way that um, they're going about this, it's the school district and the city filing a lawsuit against the county that I think they're hoping will have implications for the whole state. They're basically trying to block L.A. County from being able to enforce a new state law, which would essentially maybe void the law. Um, so we'll we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, and I, there are implications for that with um, with the Malibu independence fight as well. Yeah. And for anyone who might have forgotten or isn't familiar, what's the like five dollar <laughs> lowdown summary on that? 
without getting bogged down because I know all of these conversations are complicated. Um, Santa Monica and Malibu share a school district. They do not share a boundary. So they are separated by Pacific Palisades. They're separated by unincorporated LA County in Topanga. So Malibu wants its own separate district. Santa Monica says, that's fine if you meet, you know, all of these sort of standards that that we want you to meet. Including a lot of continuing is, to fund Santa Monica schools. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very, it, it's really a numbers game um, for Santa Monica. And Malibu is framing it as a cultural thing and having, you know, rights to be able to give their students the education that they want to, et cetera. Um, so it's a really ideological mm. on Malibu's side. And it's very much... Nuts and bolts, finances, yeah. Santa Monica so side. How does that separate legal dispute tie into this ongoing school board, city, county dispute about districted elections? So the district's um, map, the district map that was presented to the county on January 4th, uh, has Malibu in two different districts, each of which also shares a portion of a district in Santa Monica. So it's seven districts uh, for, you know, voting districts in the school district. Two of them are partially Malibu, partially Santa Monica. Five of them are only Santa Monica. So there's this idea that it, with the district map, Malibu could have two seats on the school district or, or the school district board, whereas now they have one. And they don't. It's not guaranteed. Yeah, because it's an at-large election. So Malibu needs to be extremely organized to get a Malibu um, representative on the school board just because Malibu's population is so small compared to Santa Monica's. Yeah, it's something like 15% or something. Yeah, it's it's much smaller. So, um, but yeah, there are are a lot of moving parts. So it seems like it would be in Malibu's interest to have districted elections if we're reading into all of it strategically. So what I will say is that I did have a conversation with Craig Foster, who is Malibu's only mm-hmm. representative on the school board, and Craig is for it. So he he is the only dissenting vote. He didn't actually vote for the the lawsuit decision. Um, he was out of the country at the time, so it was a six zero vote by school board in favor of engaging in this legal action. When I called Craig, he said absolutely he would have voted no he feels very strongly um that the school board should not have engaged in this so yeah i mean if if we're gonna take him as malibu's rep then malibu is is for this uh district this district yeah interesting very very complicated um but glad you're you're staying on top of this um and i'll just throw in sort of the last Pretty crazy story that happened this week that we both took turns covering. Um, it was quite sad. There was a suicide threat on the pedestrian bridge going over the California incline that goes down to the PCH around Wilshire. Um, and this incident lasted for hours. I think it was about five hours that this uh, incline, the entrance to the PCH, was closed as a man in distress sat on that pedestrian bridge contemplating suicide. He actually called the police or the 911 system himself saying he was suicidal. He had a knife when he was up there. Um, and it took this huge collaborative effort of police and fire. LA Fire was there to de escalate the situation, talk him down. You know, he was convinced to throw the knife aside, but um, it wasn't until you know, really late in the day when the the team there was able to get him 
off of the off of the bridge and fortunately he was brought to safety and i've heard that he was transported to exodus recovery which is an inpatient mental health facility which was great that he was able to get a spot um but yeah very sad and always good to remember if anyone um is experiencing suicidal ideation or knows anybody in their life who could be at risk of suicide always uh, you can always call the National Suicide Hotline, which is 800-273-8255. Really glad to hear um, that that came to, you know, a peaceful uh, resolution. So we've been talking about our past reporting, you know, for uh, quite a while. Do you want to tell us what you have upcoming? I would love to. Thank you. Um, so I have a story in the Saturday paper podcast drops on a Saturday. So if you're reading it on a Saturday, you can walk on down to your box, grab a copy. But it is about the massive redevelopment plan at Providence St. John's Hospital. This will impact a lot of residents in Santa Monica. This is a massive campus in the mid-city neighborhood. Um, This redevelopment project is going to lead to the creation of 10 new buildings. Providence St. John's, huge leading provider of healthcare locally. They do incredible breakthrough research on cancer. Very important institute. Um, and as part of this agreement to do all this massive construction and changes that will have, you know, traffic impacts and and other consequences for the neighborhood, um, they had to agree to a community benefits package in which they, you know, plan to offer a lot of services to the neighborhood. Um, their experts actually estimate that this benefits package, the community health benefits will equate to a hundred million dollars over the next 30 years. So it's massive investment. We're going to see a lot of exciting outcomes from it, such as child care services, you know, funding for nonprofits in Santa Monica that fight homelessness. There's going to be 10 new affordable housing units um, and also $10 million in funding for behavioral health services. So really big package, lots packed in there. Um, but there's one thing missing. What's that? Thank you for asking. Um, residents have been asking for a while, but with more uh, intensity recently for inpatient mental health beds. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know I've talked about how there is a mental health care bed shortage. So patients, there's not a single inpatient mental health care bed in all of Santa Monica. Closest beds are in um, Westwood. That facility is shutting down and being relocated to Mid-Wilshire. That's really not close for someone having a mental health crisis and particularly for a lot of unhoused individuals or uh, individuals involved in the criminal justice system. They're having a mental health crisis and someone calls 911. Our officers actually are transporting them to a specialized hospital all the way in Torrance, which is crazy. So we really need mental health beds. Providence St. John's will not be including any mental health beds in this plan for a variety of reasons. It's really expensive. You need specialized facilities. You need specialized people. You know, patients in mental health care crises are really difficult to take care of. They aren't always insured. Uh, they can be violent. So those are just some of the challenges. I'm not speaking for St. John's and saying this is why they said they won't do it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not going to include these beds. They are including a lot of other money towards behavioral health initiatives. But a lot of people, including myself, see it as a bit of a a lost opportunity, especially considering that homelessness and mental health is only continuing to get worse. Yeah, you've been covering the homelessness beat quite extensively. 
Um, I know that I, I feel like we talk about it on every <laughs> podcast and it's important because yeah. I mean, it's something that, that everybody, I'm sure everybody who's listening has, um, has feelings about it, has had to deal with it. Um, if we do have any listeners up in Malibu, not sure that we do, um, but I I thought I heard you mention that you're covering um, a, a homelessness issue a little bit farther up the coast this week. Is that right? Oh, I am. Thank you for reminding me. And actually, I will say Emily tipped me off on this story because she used to be the editor-in-chief of the Malibu Times, so she knows a lot about Malibu. Um, and they, this week, discussed a plan they want to be able to enforce anti-camping ordinances and, and make people leave encampments. Um, and there's this law decision, legal decision, Martin v. Boise, that says you can't force someone to not camp in the public uh, in a public space unless you have shelter beds to move them to. And Malibu needs more shelter beds. Um, but interestingly, they don't want them to be in Malibu. And there's this proposal to create an alternate sleeping location um, that city of Malibu would fund and create, but it wouldn't be in Malibu city limits, um, which I, that kind of struck me. I thought that was very interesting. And so I listened to the council meeting and they actually approved their task force to go ahead and research this. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll go ahead and share why they don't want it in Malibu. They think it's Malibu is not well set up to help someone transition off the streets and back into society, lack of public transport, uh, there's no dedicated homeless service providers, lack of affordable housing, um, which kind of begs the question, well, why don't you create that? Uh, do you think uh, there's a difference in philosophy, I guess, between Malibu and Santa Monica? Because here, you know, there's a lot of services. There's this big local push. Uh, and in Malibu, it they think of themselves as a rural community. Yeah. Um, but, but do you think that there's like a, a difference in in the philosophy of how to deal with homelessness. Yes, there's a big fundamental difference. Um, the city of Santa Monica has kind of accepted homelessness as an inherent problem that kind of almost makes sense in their community. We're an urban community. We're right near the Expo Line Transit Hub. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for people to get here. Um, so city of Santa Monica tackles that with a lot of services. You know, we're right by OBCC, the shelter run by the People's Concern. There is you know, food services here, showers, clothing, medical care. Um, that infrastructure just does not exist the same way in Malibu. So in Malibu, they're trying to, you know, locate the people, find out what their needs are, and then bring them to services. Um, and it's interesting because it kind of centers around this broader question about the nature of homelessness and services um, and whether, you know, does Santa Monica have a huge homeless population because it offers all these homeless services or do we have a lot of homeless services because we have a big homeless population? And I think there is some fear in Malibu that if you bring in all these services, you're going to increase the population. And I can't say whether that is a valid fear or not. Um, I do know that, as you mentioned, Malibu is more rural. There's big worries about encampment fires. Mm -hmm. You know, you covered the Woolsey fire in person. Like you have some of the most firsthand knowledge of how devastating that was. But yeah, very different places very different philosophies and that kind of circles back to our conversations we were having on the school district and why these two different communities would want or why some people in these different communities would want different different schools um and yet another instance of 
we will have to just wait and see how this plays <laughs> out. I mean, I, I think that this that idea from Malibu is, if not novel, it definitely hasn't been tried yeah. in Malibu before. So um, we'll have to see how an outside community might respond to Malibu asking to move facilities yeah, into that. I will note, they did not discuss where this would be moved to. It was just more philosophical, like, do you think we should continue researching into into creating this alternate sleeping location outside of city limits? So. Well, I will look forward to reading your story next week and, you know, down the line when uh, when this develops one way or the other. Hopefully, um, hopefully we'll have some more excellent uh, Clara Harder reporting. Oh, thank you, Ed. Obviously, I'm really excited for all the excellent Emily Sawicki reporting. We're just fellow <laughs> hype girls. <laughs> Very nerdy and excited about local news. Uh, we hope you are, too. That's all I have for me. Anything else you wanted to mention or talk about, Emily? That's all I have. Okay, well, enjoy your weekend, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Inside the Daily Press. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen on our website at smdp.com slash pod. Music for Inside the Daily Press is provided by The Brig Band, LA's premier jam band. To find out when and where you can hear them live, visit thebrigband.com.